finding that supply chain that can get you to market quickly um, because as much testing as you can do before you launch your first launch your your launch product is going to be a little bit of your prototype welcome to manufacturing happy hour the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 147. This week, we're going to learn what a basement golf game can teach us about supply chain. Our guests this week are Jesse Darley and Randy Coplin, two experienced product entrepreneurs that have recently joined forces on their latest endeavor. You know, I'm going to give you a bit of history here. Funny story, Jesse was actually one of the first podcast interviews I ever recorded for a show called Pubcast Worldwide. That was a more beer-centric show that I used to run. It was my first podcast, and I interviewed him because he's also one of the creators of the original beer cap map. Those cutouts of like states and countries that you can display bottle caps in. Anyway, Jesse recently reached out to me and told me that he was launching another product, and I was like, Definitely, yes, we got to have him and Randy on the show. Now, this product, though, is called Tether Golf, and I'd say it's even more creative than beer cap maps. So picture a golf ball that's tied to your basement ceiling on a string that you putt, and it swings upward in a pendulum toward a small basketball-like shaped target that you'd mount on your wall or on a stand. Anyway, I'm giving you kind of a really basic description of what tether golf looks like right now, but Randy and Jesse are going to do a much better job describing it here in a second. But regardless, this seemed like a fun product to cover some very important topics in this episode, including product development, number two, local supply chain, and number three, building a company, learning from past experience, and co-founder dynamics, all of these things we talk about today in this episode. If you want to learn more, you can do that over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 147. There you can also see what Tether Golf actually looks like since it's kind of hard to do it justice in an audio podcast. You can also link up on where to purchase it as well. As always, if you like what you're hearing on this show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts, over on Spotify. doesn't need to be long, but those comments, those reviews really help us out, means a lot, and it also helps put the show on the map. So whether you listen on Spotify, whether you listen to it on iTunes, hey, if you can leave that review, would greatly appreciate it. It's time to meet up with our guests to talk about golf, beer, entrepreneurship, bringing new products to market, and everything in between. Jesse, Randy, excited to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. We're at, we're not actually really at your factory per se, it's someone else's factory, but we're here at Jonco in Milwaukee. Tell us a little about this place as if you're having a drink with someone. Describe it in simple fashion. Maybe Jesse, you lead us off, and Randy, you can pinch hit after that. Sure. Jonko's yeah, here in North Milwaukee. It's a huge facility. Uh, walking around, you can see people sewing stuff, see people laser cutting. 
You can see people cutting things in half um, and just assembling and shipping uh, products, anything from a deer stand to a beer cap map. Andy, how would you how would you describe it? It's a great facility that is also willing to take on startups like what Jesse and I are doing. So they're not just looking for the 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 big hitters. They're willing to take a chance on us, help us through some of the prototyping phases, and take that chance because you're never quite sure where it's going to go. All right, so this is where we are at John Co. today. But in the spirit of manufacturing happy hour, Jesse, you're familiar with how I do my podcast. Let's say we're hanging out at a at a local bar. I want you to both answer this. Where would we be doing this if this were uh, an afternoon podcast post four p.m.? Yeah, here in Milwaukee, I would take I would take us to Hacienda Tap Room close to the lake. Great place. The space is beautiful. The beer selection's amazing, and the food's really good. And the uh, the guys that started Hacienda Brewing uh, also started Door County Brewing, and uh, know them from way back. And really, just a a great uh, set of brothers that started a couple breweries. It's a uh, it's a great spot right on North Ave, one of the hip nightlife areas here in Milwaukee. I actually watched a bunch of the Bucks championship playoff run in 2021 at that spot. So Hacienda is a great spot. Randy, if you were picking the joint, where would we be? Well, that's a great segue because I would take you to Good City in the Deer District. I'm a huge Bucks fan, so love catching games when I can, and it's a great spot to to get a beer. Excellent. Well, now that we've got the the setting in place, we're here to talk about a golf game that you gentlemen have manufactured, and this might be the the biggest challenge of our interview coming up because we're going to have to describe what tether golf is in a format that, you know, let's say most of the people listening to this are listening to it via audio rather than the video. So Randy, you start this one off. How do you describe tether golf to someone that's just getting familiar with it? So the best way to describe tether golf would be if you had the, the, the ring toss game that you've seen in bars and ladder golf that you've seen people play outside of picnics and things like that. Sort of a combination of that game. Um, but instead of throwing you're actually put using a putter to help get the, the ball up into the ring, either under or over. And we've got a great head-to-head uh, match play format, so it makes it really competitive and exciting to play. Really made for you know your, your recreational basement, sit next to your, your dartboard or pool table, something like that. Yeah, I would just add to that, we wanted to make it so it's easy for the beginner up to the scratch golfer. So it's a kind of a uh, an evolution in difficulty. You can also play it just in your hand. You can you can swing the golf ball kind of like a pendulum into into the ring, as Randy said, either under, so it wraps on, from underneath, or over. And those two shots are kind of different difficulty level, and mm-hmm. so they give you a bonus if you get it, get the over, as we call it. Yeah, when I first looked at it, I'm like, this looks like a basketball hoop mm-hmm. is what it looks like. It's right on the wall. And I think of the the old school executive with like a little putting green in their <laughs> office. Now you hang like the tether from the ceiling and the ball is literally on there. So we spent a solid probably five to 10 minutes of me just trying to hit the ring for the first <laughs> time before this. So fun game takes a little finesse to figure out, but uh, a cool idea. So and that's really where the next question comes in is where where does one get the idea? for tether golf. Jesse, maybe you start this one off. Yeah, it's actually kind of hard for me to remember the the spark, but it did involve seeing those balls in a ladder golf game tied together. And just I at that same morning that I had the idea, I had found 
a golf ball that looked like a soccer ball at our local golf course. And that combined with the ladder golf made me want to come up with a, a game that tethered that ball. Uh, so it was always there, ready to play. Randy, how did you get, get involved then? As usual, I was over at Jesse's house hanging out and he was really excited about th this game and he had been evolving it for a while and he really just wanted an outside opinion to see, you know, do we have something here? Do you, do you like playing this? And he knows that I like silly games and we started playing it and it was immediate. I said, this is, this, this is great. And then my typical next step is I get on my phone, I look at Google and I figure out this has to exist. Somebody had to put these games together to make it. And it didn't. Um, nothing like it really exists. There's things sort of close to it, akin to it, but not, not this game. So once we realized that nothing really evolved like it, we brought it, wanted to bring it to market. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today is bringing unique products like this to market. We'll be talking about supply chain. Because I think the cool thing about Tether Golf is both of you have separate experiences of bringing products to market before. This is not your first time doing this. Jesse, you were one of the very first five people that I ever interviewed doing a podcast on my other show over six years ago <laughs> when we were talking about beer cap maps. And then, you know, Randy, you had Mask Tight as your first. Yes. Um, I, should say, I think it was your first, correct? correct. That was your correct. first product. So you've both done this before. Let's set the stage, right? We should hear what your background was in a compact fashion relative to the products you made before this, because you both have engineering backgrounds. Let's hear about Mask Tight first, and then we'll talk beer cap map. So how did, tell us how you figured out how to do Mask Tight and what it is. So, so Mask Tight was a product that came out through the pandemic. Everybody wearing glasses and having their, their glasses fog up from wearing a mask um, was, a, was a big problem. My daughter, who's 10 now, same thing, going to school with a mask on, fogging up, it was, it was miserable. So again, being engineers working in the medical industry, we had really good contacts and we uh, repurposed double-sided medical tape to put on the inside of a mask and then it adheres to your, your bridge of your nose, stops you from fogging, keeps your mask in place while you're talking, when we're all getting back to work. And a couple, it wasn't Jesse this time, but a couple other friends worked together to bring it to market. And we took a little bit of a different path. We went straight to Amazon. We didn't try to sell it through our website. There was some advertising moratoriums going on through COVID with people trying to advertise things that would help. That was shutting down uh, Facebook and Google. So we said, let's just go straight to Amazon and turned out to be really successful. And we're, we're still selling them today for people that still need to wear masks. Yeah. So mask tight. Now let's talk about beer cap maps then. One of the first areas that got you on my radar long time ago. Yeah. So as Randy said, we're both mechanical engineers have developed very complex products for a number of companies. Uh, and so when we, when I wanted to launch into what was a side business at that point, I wanted something simple, something we could take the market pretty quickly. I had created a laser cut wooden map in the shape of Wisconsin that held bottle caps for my son who was collecting bottle caps uh, at the time. Uh, and after showing that to uh, another buddy, similar to the way I showed Tether Golf to Randy, uh, he said, we should, we should sell maps. And, and we did this, we called it our one week startup because we were, we were selling within one week. We had stood up a website. Um, and the thing about that uh, experience was a couple of things. One was, even though it was super simple, it was one piece of material, 
figuring out how, how to get quality control, figuring out supply chain was enough of a challenge for a first-time business. And the second was marketing. Like, how do you get the word out? Um, I think uh, in that case for beer cap maps, we got pretty lucky with a couple of viral moments um, and, and it, that business just exploded. Pre-TikTok viral moments, <laughs> I should say, like when virality was more where, like what were the viral moments back then? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. The first, the first one was uh, a blogger that had put an image onto Reddit, onto a subreddit around beer. And that got eyeballs from a number of people, including Playboy, Playboy's uh, social media coordinator. So they put that image on the Playboy Instagram feed. Mm. And and that really was the moment that everyone else picked it up. I think I remember you telling me this story on the <laughs> podcast from years ago. Normally, I'd re-listen to it beforehand. I am, for anyone out there listening, I will have a link to that old episode in the show notes. But uh, no, I, I appreciate getting the background. We'll revisit both Mask Titan, Beer Cap Maps a little later in this interview. But one of the reasons that I think this conversation is so pertinent today is Tether golf and the way you manufacture tether golf. This all came after the pandemic had started. This was nothing where you had a supply chain before the pandemic, things got disrupted, and you needed to figure out new ways of doing things. So I think there's a lot that people can learn in terms of how you manufacture this relatively simple toy, we'll call it basement mm-hmm. game. You, you manufacture it very regionally. Like we're here in Milwaukee and your suppliers aren't too far from here at all. So I guess my question is, how do you find these places locally in your region or in the States in general? And I don't know who wants to lead this one off. I can it take looks like, yeah, Randy, you're going to kick this one off for us. So in our, in, in my day job, right, we find vendors all the time for our, our, my clients and things like that. So wanting to keep it local, I started just cold calling, honestly. Um, it was a little bit different trying to find the wire form um, was probably the hardest vendor to find and went through a, a bunch of lo- local vendors. One local vendor in Waukesha actually said, you know, we don't take anything under $50,000, big, big jobs, but I know this company in Rockford that might be perfect for you. Mm-hmm. So just having, having that, that word of mouth spreading within the industry was also fantastic. And we ended up working with uh, Rockford Specialties. And they were, again, very similar to Jonko, willing to take a chance on us, excited to help us out. We went through a bunch of different design iterations trying to make it the, the best looking, but also cost effective. And that's how we found them. I think we had two or three others quote on it. And by far, Rockford was, was the best. Out, out in Michigan to Illinois and Wisconsin is kind of where we were looking regionally. So we could be within driving distance to shake hands, understand that we're not just some random people were, were, were real people trying to get this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if I remember right from our conversation, we were walking around here at the factory here at John Coe earlier. You have three spots where you get everything, right? You got your golf ball supplier in the Chicago suburbs. You got Rockford Specialties down in Rockford, which mm-hmm. is just across the border. And then here, got John Coe doing the board. So you have a fairly simplified supply chain. And for anyone watching the video out there on your side of the camera, we have the different iterations of what, tether golf looked like, including one that's just a wooden board with a metal ring <laughs> attached to it. So some very, very, let's say early prototypes, if you will. And, so. I, and, I, and I do want to mention too, that, you know, we wanted to come to Jonko with, we yeah. thought it'd be a great product for Jonko. Um, we were originally thinking laser cut 
And then through a lot of different trial and error, ended up routing the boards out, which Junko also has that capabilities. And we were going to do a laser printed design on it. And Jonko had, had recommended, oh, we have this digital printing, you should try this out. And once we saw that, we said, this, this, this looks fantastic. Let's, let's go that route. And I think it's important to mention, you were using Jonko for the beer cap maps, ultimately, Jesse. Is, is there something you want to add to this part about how you basically created your supply chain here? Yeah, I think Jonko, in addition to the manufacturing, is also our, our fulfiller. Mm-hmm. So for a really lean organization, uh, having, having someone who's willing to both create the inventory, st- stock the inventory, take the orders directly off of the e-commerce website uh, and do that fulfillment is huge. Uh, the other aspect is, is around um, just getting to market and then seeing where, the, where that business and product is going to go instead of having to order and take a risk on a container of material we can do almost just-in-time designs, and we can come out with uh, variations. So as you, uh, as you can see on the video, if you are watching the video, this is the, the design we have right now, but if we want to go and license a sports team's design or do something yeah. do something custom for uh, you know, a particular golf course, that's something that we can do at Jonco because it's, it's really short runs potentially. Uh, and that's that's also a benefit because we can drive here, we can talk to people, um, and get get things done quickly. Adding to that too, I think for this second business, you know, Mastite versus Beercat Maps, we didn't want to be shipping out of our house. We were at a point where we felt that the product was good enough, and we were ready to make it happen. Instead of just doing a very minimal, getting things made and, and shipping it directly, we we wanted to take that little bit more of a chance and, and, and have it running through Jonko, which has been a huge help. Can I ask, were you running mask tight out of your house then and doing all the fulfilling there? For a little while, yes. Okay. At, right. at, at the beginning of, of Amazon, before we got to Amazon Prime, that is exactly what we were doing. I was hand putting labels on and things like that. So yeah, that, that's an interesting life, but we wanted to, we were hoping that this becomes more successful than that. Well, I've, I've got a, I want you guys to make a little checklist for me then, right? When you're selecting local vendors, because I'm thinking, what can a manufacturing leader take away from your story? What is your short checklist of the things you're looking at? You mentioned some of them earlier, but just to summarize it, say, hey, when I'm looking for someone in my state, in the country, these are the things that they need to have. I would start with scale. Can mm-hmm. they? Can you go from prototype to high volume with that manufacturer? As Because you can't anticipate where the business is going to go. Um, I, I do think that really personal connection. Do you feel comfortable working with the people? Do you feel like they're, you're getting their attention and they're treating you on honestly and fairly? Um, and then just, you know, capabilities a little bit, maybe beyond what you're originally going to do. Can that go, I guess, guess goes back to scale to some degree, but can you potentially pivot? You, will you have to be, will you be able to pivot within the same um, organization? Cool. So you've got that local element, ability to scale, ability to pivot if needed. Randy, anything you'd add to that list? I'm really big on the relationship side of it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Yeah. So it's about how do you recover from those mistakes and do you have that trust and that relationship to move forward with it? Because it, everything's not going to be perfect. We're going to have issues. We're going to have product returns, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's having that personal relationship to work through those things instead of... Um, not and trying to find somebody else. And if you're just a number, 
maybe they don't go the extra mile for you, but that's why keeping it local helps foster those relationships. I'm curious to know from both of you, because we mentioned it right at the start, this is not the first time you've created a product. I want to hear whether it's a mistake, whether a success, maybe it's one of each. Things you learned at Mask Tight and Beer Cat Maps respectively that have have helped you here in this next iteration of creating products. Because I have a feeling you're going to be creating products for a long time. Tether Golf is not the last one that either of you create. So, Jesse, we'll start with you this time, what you've learned, what you've applied, and then uh, Randy will go to you after that. Yeah, well, I think it relates to some of the answers to the last question. The first one was trust. Uh, the first place that we had our MAPS laser cut eventually started knocking us off uh, with, without us knowing it. So that, that was a, a lesson learned is, is really making sure that that doesn't happen or, or knowing it may happen. Um, and the other was the fulfillment side. Um, and if you are just trying to be your general, the general contractor, that's going to take all your time. You're not going to be able to either do, do the part, other parts of a small business like marketing, like new product development, um, like customer service, uh, because you're just going to be fulfilling, um, you know, out of your basement. I think, I think people wait too long to, uh, in small businesses to, uh, you know, offload the things that really, uh, someone can do better. So what you're saying is not only the trust factor, but fulfillment, fulfillment in your case is one of the most, the, the, one of the most important things to get off your plate. So you can focus on all the other things that allow you to grow and scale. Like you said, the marketing. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by ePlan. Now, I've known about these folks for years. ePlan provides software and service solutions in the fields of electrical engineering, automation, and mechatronics engineering. But I just got to know them a whole lot better when I featured their international solutions architect, Sean Mulherin, on episode 132. We talked about all things apprenticeships, travel, and data-driven panel design, and I'm gonna focus on that last one for a second. ePlan develops one of the world's leading design software solutions for machine, plant, and panel builders. So if you want to start designing your panels for troubleshooting and ease of use so that your control panels are easy to navigate years after the panel is built, you need to check them out. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com ePlan or hear all about it from Sean in episode 132. And now back to today's episode. So Randy, what about mask type? What are, what are your lessons from there that are helping you in this next iteration? Really, really centered around Amazon. Yeah. So one of the hardest things about starting a business is nobody knows about you. Mm -hmm. You have no idea if you have a product or, and how do you send it to the masses? You get all the questions like, oh, just send it to Tiger Woods. And and then that doesn't really happen (laughs) in the real world. Yeah. Um, But Amazon has its own amazing marketplace and we were trying to drive people to our website to to sell in bulk or to sell individual packs of Mastite. And it, it just never really happened. But once we started to get more reviews and more of a groundswell happened at Amazon, all of a sudden the al- algorithm takes over and puts you to the top of these different lists. And the sales just kind of take off fr- from there. So mm-hmm. if somebody has a problem with fogging glasses, mask slipping, if they put in any sort of 
similar keyword mastites at the top of that list. Um, so bringing that into tether golf, um, being of a perfect package size, it's not too big. Um, yeah, I think that's going to help a lot. So a follow-up question to that, because I'm sure this is, doesn't apply to everyone listening, but what is a good resource or how did you learn how to leverage Amazon, right? Because that could be someone, I'm sure it is someone's full-time job at certain product companies just to make sure they're mm -hmm. optimizing performance on Amazon. So what is what is your quick tip? What's a good resource for someone that may need to dive into that as part of their business that you would recommend? YouTube. YouTube? <laughs> YouTube. Really? YouTube is everything. I, I watched... I don't even want to say how many hours of YouTube on learning how to do it because there's so much nuance inside of Amazon as well as it's changing all the time. Mm -hmm. I think everybody that sells on Amazon can relate to this. The gut-wrenching moment when you see a flag saying, you're about to be cut off. Yeah. It's terrifying. I, yeah. I literally had that two weeks ago. Yeah. It's not that scary. They just need some more information, but it's, it's they give and they also take away. So making sure you're following the rules, doing everything you're supposed to, but honestly, I looked at a lot of YouTube videos. I did contact a company called My Amazon Guy, mm -hmm. um, worked with them a little bit, and flatteringly enough, they said, this looks great. Like We don't think we'd change anything because we were thinking maybe we weren't util utilizing Amazon and the advertising within Amazon to the full extent. And they were like, "This we wouldn't do that much more for you. And Again, the honesty from that vendor makes me want to use them in the future if, you know, sometime I have a product that maybe I don't want to be as uh, close to or hands-on and have someone else take. So a couple things. You, one, one thing you're talking about is, you know, you learn through just kind of the very obvious DIY method that a lot of people use now is YouTube, which we have, we've had people that run automation YouTube channels on this show before. So I think the, the audience knows the, the power of that in a lot of ways. One thing I'm curious about is, this is an Amazon-specific question, but it's a little more general. How do you avoid putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Because I could see this really goes down to, hey, Amazon, let's say it's your main support source of sales, right? 80, I don't know how much of it it is, but let's say it's like 80%, right? If you lose Amazon, like that changes your business. So what's the right way to go about that balancing act in the way you run a business that's largely e-commerce, that's selling these via e-commerce today? So I think that's what we're, I'm bringing into Tether Golf as yeah. well. So Jesse with Beer Cat Maps had an amazing viral moment mm -hmm. that that made direct consumer selling happen and put Beer Cat Maps um, in the forefront. Mastite's never going to be that product. Mm -hmm. It's an invisible product behind a mask. It was really hard to market and even figure out how to how to sell. So we are 95% an Amazon business. Mm -hmm. But it's also been interesting that we sort of fell on this middle ground. Uh, we were successful, but not so successful, uh, a big company could come and knock us off at, at, at any moment. Yeah. So we sort of found this, this level playing field, this nice little uh, spot where it's, it's profitable and it works, but it's never going to scale into a, into a large business. Sure. But Tether Golf could go viral, maybe. And that's maybe that that's my next question. At Jesse, we've we've been giving Randy a lot of questions. So I'll have you lead us off on this one. You, when we were chatting earlier this week, you both made the comment that you were initially potentially concerned that you guys might be too similar to be co-founders of this venture, right? You're both engineers, you both have that mindset, but you've each talked in this interview about the different things and different experiences you bring from your past product experiences. So how do you both balance one another out? And how do you make sure you're each playing to your strengths while also recognizing, hey, there are some things that we are very similar in. So Jesse, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think to start with, uh, I just really think you need a partner when you do something like this, because you uh, there's going to be low moments in, in the entrepreneurial journey. Um, so you, having someone who may be able to, you know, buoy your spirits, take some take on more of the uh, optimist role uh, when you're the pessimist. So I think there's that's just a generic. Uh, need of having a partner. Um, I think our personalities, even though our backgrounds are very similar, our personalities are pretty different. I think I would describe uh, Randy as a maximizer and I'm a satisfizer. Okay. So, <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, the maybe less um, jargony way of saying that is uh, Randy's a perfectionist and I am, I'm kind of uh, a Yahoo uh, mm-hmm. every once in a while. And I think there's, there's value in both of those approaches, um, in making sure that you are, uh, dotting your I's and crossing your T's thinking about the failure modes, but also not, not slowing down too much. Um, because, because velocity is your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then we've already sort of touched on business experience, um, right. with Amazon, um, and with different channels for, so for beer cap maps, uh, I might answer the question of, uh, how do you, how do you minimize your risk across different channels as in, you know, go, go the path of least resistance to start with, which is, um, Amazon and direct to consumer on the website, start developing, um, potentially a retail strategy. If you're going to go to some brick and mortar, and then, th- and then I guess also think long term. If this ended up in big box, do you have the do you have the margins to to get there? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the answer in our case is probably not at the moment. But that's that's something that we are thinking about. How would we uh, ad- evolve or adapt the product to be able to attract all of those different uh, customers and go into those different channels? Yeah, Randy. Yeah, well, well put. I'm definitely a perfectionist and will, you know, design until you can't design anymore. So I think pushing and pulling each other where <clears throat> Jesse might, it's fine, let's go. And I'm like, no, it's, it's absolutely not. Like we have to, we have to go one step further. This doesn't, mm-hmm. this doesn't quite feel right. So I think that balance is really good. And then echoing what Jesse said about just having a partner in the highs and the lows. You know, we were just in the very comfortable phase of product development, making the game, having a ton of fun in my basement, coming up with the game, like the rules and and, and the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And now we're in that murky territory where you really do have the highs and lows of you know the success of a launch and of a website, and then no sales. So it, it's 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 really nice to be there for each other and and help help keep spirits high when the other one's low. So. One thing I'm wondering, I don't know if I've ever asked anyone this before, but are, were you guys um, open with one another about the different strengths and experiences you both like brought to the table? Because I'm curious if some co-founders don't have that conversation where they kind of just stumble into the fact that they're with someone that works really well with them. I'm curious how you go about handling that because I think that's something important for anyone out there watching or listening to learn is how do you make sure you have the right business partner, the right person, you know, your right-hand person in the C-suite, whatever that may be for companies, big or small, how, what's the right way to make sure you have that dynamic and have that conversation? Well, I think having the conversation is the critical thing. I don't know that there's a right way. And I think most of the time it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. or it happens, um, you know, only in crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I've been around enough, um, sort of, sort of executive coaching to know, to know that you need to understand the personalities that you're working with. Um, and so, and you can really, uh, be honest with yourself. What are your weaknesses? What do you need to, uh, fill in to make sure that you're successful? And that's probably the, um, the critical thing is it, it, it is a puzzle. And, and I don't think it, you can have overlap too. It's not like you just, you need to be completely non-overlapping Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. I think it is good to have some overlap because then you can, then, then that's your superpower as a company where you can, where you can bat things back together because you both have that experience, but then you can fill in where there isn't overlap. Good way to put that. Good way to put that. Um, I, I've got another question from our initial conversation. I think Jesse, you might've said this to be successful post COVID, you need to have an entrepreneurial mindset. And I think you were applying that to your strategy around social media, but more in general of getting the word about tether golf out there. So Jesse, if you could go into that quote a little bit more than Randy, I'd love you to, to pick up on that after. Yeah, I was really kind of referring to anybody in any job needs to be successful that wants to be successful needs to have an entrepreneurial mindset yeah. and that and that's really because you are in a marketplace that's very distracted you're in a supply chain that's that's overwhelmed it's hard to get people's attention um things are changing so fast and i think if you have that mindset uh, and you bring uh bring new ideas to you know your company to your boss to your group, um, and be willing to take risks, to iterate quickly, um, to, to think about what makes a product desirable, feasible, and viable. Those are sort of the, the lenses that we use. Uh, that's, that's, those are the people that are going to be successful in an organization or on their own. Randy? And picking that up, I think entrepreneuring <laughs> means failure. Right, so people need to be okay with failing, whether it's something small. Or hopefully, fail small so you don't fail big. But continuing prototyping to learn, um, like we did endlessly with 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 tether golf, I think that's a huge part. And also that you're never too old to learn things. Like the the world now with, with YouTube, as I said, and and all these other things that we have, it's amazing what you can learn, and you can dig into whether it's video editing podcasting, whatever it might be, there's somebody out there giving away really amazing lessons. And then if you have interest in it, give it, give it a try. Or if it's something at, at, at work, go on a limb and, and try something new. So what does the future hold for, for Tether Golf? Jesse, you were talking about uh, the, um, like even thinking about big box retailers. That was a general answer. I think you were giving to the supply chain advice, but I'd love to hear from both of you. Randy, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll kick off with you on this one. What, what, is, what are the next steps and where, where do we think tether golf could go? I think it could go definitely into the big box store and could be that thing that you see in everybody's basement. Like you said, next to a dartboard or whatever it might be that kind of go to fun game while you're hanging out in the basement, watching Watching golf, watching football, whatever whatever it might be, um, I think having having such a big billboard backboard that we have, I, th I could see we could do a lot of cross marketing. Um, yeah, I th 
lots of opportunities there. Yeah, sports teams, like yes, things like exactly. that. Because I mean, the way like we said it before, it looks like a bat, like a small basketball hoop for golf. So that backboard right now has the rules mm-hmm. of the game on there. But that's a lot of prime real estate that you could yeah. use to market many different things. At one point, I was trying to get the the Bucks logo in the grass. <laughs> but, oh yeah. But it never quite worked and looked right. It always looked a little bit off, but I was trying to, you know, give a little bit of a, of a kick to the, to the Bucks. I've yeah, been a, a fan for my whole life, basically growing a, up in the Milwaukee area. A subtle nod. There's still plenty of time for design iteration. Yeah. You'll get there. You'll Hopefully get there. Jesse, what would, what would you add to that? Well, I think eventually we would love to get back to what the first version of this was, which was standalone, take it out onto your, onto your lawn and play it, um, at a picnic. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it's awesome on the back porch and and in the basement right now. Um, and it, and it makes a very compact product to ship. Um, but, but coming up with a way to make it portable and standalone would be a future iteration. So we're talking, um, bigger markets, potential partnerships, as well as, you know, maybe another iteration of the game is what I'm hearing. So a lot of different directions that could go. Ne- next question, we're, we're getting towards the end of this, but a fun question is how did, how in the world did you come up with the rules for this? You talked about the rules at the start, right? I'm still getting familiar with them. There's points for getting it under the hoop, over the hoop. So how did you guys create that? There's got to be a good story behind that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, amazing how fast it came together, which was basically one session in Randy's, Randy's basement with a very early version. Obviously the rules are now on the, on the board. So we weren't playing that version. Um, and, and we really were looking for a game that would take a handful of minutes to play. That was not demoralizing if one person got, uh, got ahead um, and also, uh, felt, felt competitive and fun. And, and this match play format really kind of fit the bill where each hole is its own little battle. Um, and, and the other aspect of the two ways of scoring, uh, the way, the way we like to think about it is you're never out of it. So if, uh, if you go with the under, um, you get a, a three point bonus, mm-hmm. but if you go with the over, you get a five point bonus. So, yeah. so if someone, uh, scores quickly, uh, you can, you can choose the other, the other shot and still beat them. I will have links to their social media in the show notes, just so people can like see this firsthand and visualize it. I remember the day really well because we realized that it's a fun game to play and just to to put it in and, and see it go in. It was satisfying, especially the over kind of feels like a dunk, mm-hmm. uh, a, a basketball shot, but the game wasn't compelling. And it's sort of like the ring toss game where it's not, it's interesting and, and it's satisfying to do it, but there's not that gameplay. So mm-hmm. we knew we had to come up with some sort of gameplay so that two people would sit down there, play the game and 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 have that competitive nature that Jesse was referring to. So once... Once we had that back, the other one was, I think the first game we started out was you go, I go, you go, I go. And we realized that it's a game that you need to really dial in and you want a couple shots in a row to, f- to get your aim going. Yeah. And then get one, in the groove. Exactly. And once we s- switched over to, all right, you get eight tries to make a score. It all started to come together. It's really just one night. And like we wrote the numbers down and it was great. I love it. Well, as we wrap up, 
What's your final piece of advice? And I'll let you pick which way you want to go, either on supply chain advice or co-founder partnership advice, because I feel like those have been two, or product development advice. Why not Why not that as well? Those are the areas we've touched on. What would be your final advice to the manufacturing leaders that are out there listening? Uh, Randy, it looks like you're, sure. you're ready and raring to go on this one. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's product development. It's, it's getting the ideas out of your head, get them on paper, make them, prototype them, and and don't worry if it's a silly idea. Just get it out there. I have to ask, how did you determine product market fit for this, right? You guys worked on it in the basement, thought it was cool. How did you confirm that other people thought this was cool as well? Showing a lot of friends and family. And yeah. everybody was, was pretty much hooked. We had some friends over early on in the development. And they're big, uh, a gaming family, board games, that kind of stuff. And uh, their family was absolutely hooked. And that that's all I needed to see was... They have a whole wall of board games in their house. And if they like it, I'm like, I think we have something here. Yeah. Jesse, what, uh, what's, what's your final piece of advice around? We did, we just had product development. Do you want to go that route or are you going to go supply chain or co-founder? I'm going to go supply chain a little bit. Um, and it's, it may be, uh, harkening back to some of the stuff we've already said. Sure. But I think finding that supply chain that can get you to market quickly um, because as much testing as you can do before you launch, your first launch, your your launch product is going to be a little bit of your prototype. Mm-hmm. Your your early adopters will tell you what sucks, what's great, um, and and being locked into you know a ton of inventory, uh, a long lead time, or or whatever else might come from you know overseas or or other less flexible supply chains means that you can't quickly um, iterate on even your launched product. Um, so I think use your early customers um, to uh, to validate and and iterate on your product. Great piece of advice on both fronts. With As, as we're here at the end, what's going to be the first bar in Milwaukee that has a tether golf <laughs> inside of it or a tether golf area where there might be a few next to one another. I hope your listeners tell us that. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's... I hope your listeners and uh, could definitely see this at, at Top Golf or something like that as, as some novelty games to play while you're at a Top Golf. I would say it would be a great game to have while you're waiting for your bay to open up because right now at Top Golf, you're basically just, you know, chilling at the bar waiting for a bay, mm-hmm. right? Nothing wrong with that, but this could be a good way to have a little you know, get a little warm up in. Plus, you're not doing any putting at Top Golf either. You're, you know, going straight to the pitching wedger that most people are probably going for the driver to see how far they can whack it. So, exactly. Excellent. Well, we just made a good call to action to all the people out there that might go after, t- uh, I was going to say Top Golf, that might go after Tether Golf. <laughs> um, but where can people find Tether Golf right now? What's the best way to connect with you guys? The best spot would be to check out the website. You can see it in action. That's tethergolf.com. Um, and also all the socials, uh, mostly uh, Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, which is at Tether Golf. Excellent. Cool. Well, hey, I will have links to all those in the show notes. And with that, next time we do this conversation, hopefully it will be over a game of Tether Golf at one of these bars or top golf facilities that starts incorporating it. So, Randy, Jesse, thanks so much for jumping on the show. Thanks, Chris. It's been great. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, I hope you had fun with that episode. I thought it would be pretty cool to take what what is a relatively light product, a pretty creative product, but 
get Randy and Jesse to share just a ton of great insights around some meaty topics that all of us as manufacturing leaders are facing. If you want to access any of the resources or products we talked about today, well, hey, you can do that at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 147. There you can find links to all the social media that they have for Tether Golf. I also have a Tether Golf set of my own. I highly recommend picking it up as a birthday gift, Christmas gift, Father's Day gift, any gift really. There's a link to do that over there. Just check it out in the resources at the bottom of the page. And by the way, if you do want to hear that early podcast episode we were talking about, I've included a link to my old show, Pubcast Worldwide. Again, that one was more beer-centric, but that's where I did my interview with Jesse back in February 2017, where we really talk more about Beer Cap Map. So if you're interested, that link's over there as well. By the way, we referenced the video in the interview a couple times. Make sure you're following Manufacturing Happy Hour on YouTube because that's where you can get the video for this interview as well as all the other interviews that we release. We usually release our video interviews a little bit later, so just make sure you're following along for when that comes out. But there's plenty, plenty of videos over there in the meantime. As we wrap up, I just want to thank our sponsor, ePlan. I want to ask you if you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving that five-star review over at Spotify or iTunes. And with that, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.